it's not easy to change a global supply chain. A lot of people think that, oh, we can just move, you know, from one place to the next and produce something somewhere else. It's not easy. It takes time. It's difficult. There's so many things involved in having another manufacturer be able to produce the same product at the same price at the same quality. Hi, this is Anita from the Global Trade Gal. You know, recently I've been hearing on the news and I've been hearing other people talk about how the fact that COVID has made sure that global sourcing is dead. I don't believe it. I don't believe global sourcing is dead. And there's many reasons why that I believe this. And here are some of my 11 reasons why I do not believe that global sourcing is dead. Number one is for many products, the cost is cheaper overseas. You know, even with the increased, you know, the freight, all those other things that have been going on with the global supply chain, you know, there's many times that the cost is just simply cheaper to produce it overseas. And it may be a product that's more effective to be produced overseas than it is to be produced in your own country. You know, the Asian factories, you know, they can do everything from, you know, making the frame to even the phone to sewing cushions. You know, they can do everything, you know, from, um, you know, the Asian factories can. They can do almost everything for the house. They can make everything that they need in order to make, um, you know, to make a certain product. So, you know, there's no reason why global sourcing is dead. I remember when I was young that most people just had one or two pairs of shoes because actually shoes were quite expensive. You know, at the time they weren't really imported much. They were being made mostly in the United States. So we didn't have a lot of, you know, different types of shoes. Well, today you can go and you can find shoes are very cheap. And so, you know, people have tons of shoes and that's because it's cheaper to produce the shoes overseas than it is to produce them maybe in, you know, your own country or in the United States. The other thing is that overseas factories have invested in high-cost machinery. You know, many people would be surprised when you go into a factory overseas for some of the machinery that they have. They can have some really, really high-tech machinery. You know, the machinery can be very efficient, very effective. It produces, you know, very, very high-tech products at a cheaper cost. That could also be the advantage that they have some very good machinery where some of the you know, American or European factories may still be, have not maybe invested in the machinery as some of these Asian factories have. You know, the overseas, they do things that basically the U.S. cannot or Europe cannot or the Western world cannot. You know, they do things such as hand-woven wicker, rattan chairs. They, you know, weave baskets by hand. All of these things that need to be done by hand and cannot be done by machine or be extremely expensive to have it done by machine in the United States are always going to have to be imported from somewhere that can make them more efficiently and also of the skills and they haven't lost the skills, you know, and, you know, years ago in America, probably 100 years ago or maybe 150 years ago, people had these skills. They knew how to weave a basket. They knew how to dry the material. They knew how to do all these things. We've lost all that, you know, in the United States. So if we want to have a woven basket, we're going to have to import it from somewhere or from someone who knows how to do it. There's a lot of labor issues in the U.S. and the West right now. In fact, today I just went to our local Walmart and I was actually really surprised. You know, there were, you know, cartons all in the aisle that no one has unpacked. 
Uh, a lot of the shelves were empty. There was just a lot of things that I could just tell that someone has not been stocking the shelves for quite a while. And my guess is that they probably just don't have the labor to do it. Where are people that want to have a factory or start manufacturing, where are they going to find the people to work in the factories at a cost that they need to to be competitive, where they will not, where it's going to be cheaper to be able to import the things after even investing in machinery and other things. You know, there's a new trend in the United States and other parts of the world, which is quietly quitting, where people are just deciding that they're just going to quietly quit or they're not going to do anything extra. And, you know, so all of these things are adding to the fact that, you know, labor is getting harder. People don't want to work in factories. They want remote work. They want to be at home. They want their freedom. They want all these other things. Well, it's, you know, it's going to, it's anyone that's running a factory is going to have a hard time finding people to go to those factories in particular. Anyone who's, um, you know, even looking to run a Walmart or someplace else are going to have a harder time. There's a lot of lost art and skills that have been lost in the United States that would just people just don't have them anymore. You know, example we mentioned before would be the weaving, a lot of the furniture making, a lot of our handicraft skills, pottery, other things. Yes, there's still a few people that still make those, but really the reality of the number of people that make them has really dwindled and it's not like it once was. You know, there's a demand for certain products that people want to have from overseas. You know, face it. You know, many in the places in the United States want to buy products that can be not produced in the United States. That includes everything from handmade you know, to handcrafted products. You know, so often the demand, the look, the trend, uh, the fashion, the finish, you know, are all things that can drive and make it essential for there to still be global trade. You know, one example that, you know, people may not think about is is almonds, you know, actually, the United States supplies a lot of almonds to the rest of the world. When you go to China and Asia and other parts of the world, there are a lot of U.S. almonds over there. You know, so that, you know, the trade goes actually both ways where, you know, we in the United States might be supplying almonds and other things that, you know, they may be supplying to us baskets. So, you know, the trade tends to go um, two ways. The other way would be sustainability and global sourcing is many of the pe people in the United States might be surprised to learn that in Asia, many of the factories are really, you know, up on sustainability issues. And this is because in, you know, uh, many parts of China and other parts of Asia, the government has been forcing sustainability, environmental issues, and even their, the market has too. An example of this that I looked into recently was about uh, mattresses and cushions. Uh, a lot of the manufacturers we talked to have what's called the CertiPure, which was a U.S.-based type of certification to make sure that mattresses were made, you know, using you know certain types of foam and foam that was considered to be environmental friendly. You know, all the mattresses we talked to all had the CertiPure certification for the mattresses, beddings, you know, or sofas and other things. And, you know, it wasn't even just a question whether or not they had it. They all had it. Many companies in the United States also, you know, have global supply as their model. In other words, that they are not manufacturing goods. They are not producing goods themselves. They are mainly importing goods, reselling them. And so that is their model that they're using for business. So they're not going to give up that model very quickly to suddenly start producing in the United States because, number one, they wouldn't probably have the technical skills to be able to do it. Even if they sell the products, it doesn't mean that they know how to actually manufacture them because most products for manufacturing is highly technical and requires technical expertise. The world is set up for global sourcing. 
you know, as the internet has come about, as it's become easier for companies to interact with international counterparts, there, you know, it's the world in some ways become a smaller place where people are able to, um, you know, find sources online as they never have been before. So the world has become smaller and the internet has sort of made it that way. Global um, supply goes two ways. I live over in Hanoi, Vietnam, and I can tell you that a lot of my butter and cheese and other things come from like Australia, New Zealand. Um, you know, almonds come from the United States. We get beef from Australia. There's a lot of products that the, um, you know, these countries that are producing other things as baskets or handicraft products are actually buying from the United States and they're importing from the United States. So global trade, you know, really does go two ways. You know, over the last 20 years, I've seen, too, how countries like China have, you know, changed their taste, where before it used to be very hard to find butter in China or lettuce or things for salads. And now, you know, the Chinese like it. They want it. So you can find it in the grocery stores. And the last and the most important reason is that actually changing a global supply chain takes time. It's not easy to change a global supply chain. A lot of people think that, oh, we can just move, you know, from one place to the next and produce something somewhere else. It's not easy. It takes time. It's difficult. There's so many things involved in having another manufacturer be able to produce the same product at the same price, at the same quality in another country or another place. It's actually a very, very difficult thing to do. And even, you know, even if you think, well, you know, why can't they do it? They can just simply move it. You have to have the labor, you have to have the technology, you have to have everything in place. And a lot of factories keep their secrets of their, their trade secrets. They, they keep them close to their chest. They, you know, they're not going to tell you how do they mix the colors? How do they, you know, make the parts? How do they make the pieces? How do they do all that? They're not going to tell you that because uh, that's, you know, considered their trade secret. So these are the reasons why I feel like, you know, despite all this talk about people saying that the global supply chain is dead, that, you know, everyone's going to start producing back in the United States. I don't see it happening. I just, I don't think it's a reality. I think that the global trade is going to continue for a long time to come. This is Anita from the Global Trade Gal. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope that you will become part of our community. If you have any questions or comments, we'd certainly love to hear from you. And we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us and being part of us. Uh, we'd like to thank Rico for helping us to put these podcasts together and making them possible. Thank you so much for listening.